to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the future past of musical theater so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Without You, a memoir of love, loss, and the musical Rent by Anthony Rapp. Joining us to discuss this messy memoir is the spectral presence of Jonathan Larson. No day but today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and also Dorote is here, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, okay, so for starters, I guess content warning for like cancer, death of a parent, sexual assault, questionable sexual things. I don't even know. Um, it, it, yeah, we'll go with yeah, that. I think that's it. Um, and then. Just a general warning, Kate and I are having a rough time right now for separate reasons. We're just, we're just having a tough time and we were like, maybe we could take a break and like skip an episode and oh my God, Dorte. Dorte was like, no, you can't skip an episode. You have to podcast, mother. And so we were like, okay, (laughs) what if we... What if we, like, sort of cheat and just read this book, but use it mostly as an excuse to just, like, talk about Rent and, like, our memories of the 90s? And then we were like, yeah, no one no one can stop us from doing that. Except true, maybe except Duarte. Yeah. Trying very hard. He's, oh, my God. You little rascal. Anyway, so if you don't care about rent, you don't care about musical theater, like just just let us have this one. Just move on. It's probably not gonna be an episode for you. Um, it's also, I mean, I think it will become apparent. We there's this is not gonna be as organized of an episode as and I look and I know they're not usually organized at all, but there's usually <laughs> Behind the scenes, there's usually some attempt. There's usually like several pages of Google document, and right now we have like one paragraph. So, um, there is so one link and the intro. That is what is in this Google document. Yeah. Um, and our dramatic readings. Yes. So, you've been warned. So hi. Okay. You've been warned. Don't at us. Just, 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 just hi. <laughs> so this book, actually, Kate. By the way, I we were talking about this before, and I said that I it had come out when I was in Peace Corps, and I realized this book came out in two thousand six, and I think when it came out, I I was well, I I know that in two thousand six I was in college, and I didn't read it at the time, and I think I was just sort of in my like rent is cringe phase and i was like oh i don't care about rent anymore i'm not gonna read that and then i think when it came out in paperback is when some and i i think it actually might have been friend of the show steve who came in our rob Lowe episode i think maybe he was the one who sent me a paperback copy of it and a peace Corps care package so i read it there and i was like this book isn't that good but okay yeah, I I think if it came out in 2006, like, I also think I was just, I had, like, had, like, a really messy friends breakup with some of my rent friends, and, like, my last, the last actor who I was really, like, following, my friend Seb had left the show at that point, so I think I was just kind of like, whatever. I have to be stressed about school all the time. I don't have time to read this. Um and reading it now like it was it was whatever um well okay so uh my grandmother just died like three weeks ago uh and it was sort of a surprise and sort of not and it fucked me up surprisingly so this is this book is not actually very much about rent it is about 90 percent about uh his relationship with his mother and his mother's death and the time leading up to his mother's death from cancer during which he was in rent um so rent is mentioned in the background several times and at the beginning before his mother gets diagnosed with cancer he talks a little bit more about like you know the first few workshops and uh jonathan larson and you know sort of starting to become friends with jonathan larson and then jonathan larson's death and 
but mostly it's about his mother's death and his grieving process, both while she was dying and after she died. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was sad. It was fine. I was like, I don't want to be reading this right now, but I didn't think about that when I was like, yeah, let's do this. But that's, it's also fine. I'm tired. Um, yeah. I also, I think 90%, I, I think it's maybe like a third rent, a third grief and a third him being like a messy bitch about like personal relationships and romantic relationships and whatnot. Uh, and they maybe- are all- Maybe they are all intertwined, of course, but... And it might be just because I'm going through this period in my life right now where, like, grief is very apparent to me. But yeah, it definitely felt mostly grief to me with the other two things as kind of side angles. But it also... It's very interesting. So I... Like I said, I'd never read it. And then the other night, Renata was over and we were um, playing birds and we were talking about, like, oh, this book. And I was like, I haven't actually start like I'm had just started it. I was not very far into it yet. And the way that you described his messiness, I was expecting it to be messier than it was. Okay. Well like I because we we're talking about and we'll hit upon this later. We we're talking about this one particular boyfriend that he had. Um and I remember you saying something like, oh my God, he lists like 50 boyfriends that he had. And like honestly like I was counting and I was like this is maybe how many girlfriends I had between like high school and like my late twenties. <laughs> it wasn't even that he had. First of all, Brad. Second of all, uh, it wasn't even. I think that he had so many. So much as just like the way that they kept coming up and the way every time, like he does call himself a serial monogamous, but just like every time he was like, and this is the one. Even though it's like, like I don't. I guess it's fine. I was just like vexed. I think. Um, it just was relatable and, to me. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, which is fine. Maybe I'm messy too, or at least I was messy. Like I was saying to my roommate, I was like, no one would have wanted to. I'm shocked people wanted to be friends with me when I was 22. So like, <laughs> you know, when I was going through that period of my life, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I we should also say what's not in this book is anything about the Kevin Spacey stuff, which is. I don't know. Interesting because I I certainly get him not wanting to talk about it, but then when he talked about it later, it's like that's the kind of thing that would have made sense to be in your book. And I guess I maybe it's just a sign of like how much his t- times have changed from 2006 to like, you know, that was sort of like pre me too, etc. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's two things. I think one is that, you know, at that point also, like, A, he might not have been emotionally ready to talk about it. Yeah. B, like, Kevin Spacey at that point, I mean, he was so famous. And he was, like, very much still at, like, a powerful person in Hollywood. You know, and Anthony Rapp very much was not. Like, this, this right. the, the amount that this kid guy rode Rent's coattails up until he basically it was basically up until he got the Star Trek role. Like yeah. his main point of reference was he was the guy who was in the original cast of Rent, and that was twenty years ago, and that's still who he is. Um, yeah. Yes. No. Like, and I'm uh, certainly I'm not saying like all victims of sexual assault like should come out and like why aren't they doing it? Like blah 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 blah. Like obviously I know that's hard. It's just as like n- maybe like now if if he hadn't written this book in two thousand six, if he were writing a book now in today's climate i think it would be in the book i also feel like because like so much of the the thrust of this book was loss like because there were i'm sure a lot of other things going on during that time period and it was really like it was a like focused largely on the period from like when he first got rent to like i think the year anniversary of his mother's death but then there's an epilogue about doing the rent movies like i think it was but, a but very there's focused a lot on- of teenage stuff in here there's a lot of teenage stuff in here and there's a lot of like him being like sexually assaulted by a, a different kid like just like a random kid when he was in his teenager like he did sort of like get into some of that just not like i it happened when he was in new york and in, in the play called um shit, i just had it 
he wrote about the the going to New York and being in that play and like fighting with his mom during that time, but he doesn't like yeah mention oh Precious Sons in 1986. Um, he writes about that time, just not in that detail. Yeah, and I mean, I think I wasn't expecting it to be in here. Um, and no, I, it, of course, because then that would have been the news. But it's just interesting rereading it now and in the wake of him having come out about that. It just was interesting to me. That wasn't. But yeah, it's largely about, you know, this slice of time when he was doing rent and his mother was dying. And um, yeah, it's it's sad. There's a lot. The thing the thing that struck me the most in it that like I, I every time it happened, I was like, but who do you think the audience for this is? No, exactly. Um, he would talk about like especially in like the first half of the book when you know because it starts with like the first 1994 rent workshop and then it talks about when rent was off broadway and then moving to broadway and there are just large swaths of it that are him being like reflecting on the lyrics of rent yeah and just writing them out word for word and i'm like sir it's 2000 i thought it was 2008 but um 2006 who do you think is reading this book everyone who bought this book knows every word of rent yes you do not need to share the lyrics of rent word for word i promise you everyone here knows how seasons of love goes yes and i think what's what's hard about this book is that like Presumably, if you're reading it, you're a fan of Rent, you're a fan of Anthony Rapp, you're like, oh, I would love to know more details about the making of Rent and the history there. And then you read it and you're like, I already knew all this. Like, if you're a big enough fan to read the book, like, I already knew that, like, Anthony Rapp was one of only three people to come from the, the New York Theater Workshop into the Broadway version. And I already knew, like, the lore of, of you know, Jonathan Larson working as a waiter and, like, blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, you already know it. And then the stuff about him and his mom, I, the thing is, I'll, I read a lot of memoirs. Like I like memoir as a genre and I'm not, I don't think memoir has to be written by a notable figure or like, I think, you know, certainly a book that is just about like big feelings and relatable time is fine. Like, I think, you know, like, for example, I Wild by Cheryl Stray is one of my all time favorite books. And that is a lot, a lot of like her processing grief over her mom dying with cancer. But the thing is, either your memoir, I think, should have something sort of notable, like the rent stuff in it, or you should be a better writer than Anthony Rapp is. And he is just. And again, like, you know, I'm not in an immediate current grieving process right now, but all this stuff where he, it just, it didn't feel like it was bringing a lot new to my life to read this book. Yeah. I mean, I could have, at the end of the day, and I don't mean this to be a pun, but I'm just going to say it and it's fine. We can live with it as a pun. At the end of the day, I could take or leave this book. Um, <laughs> Um, but I do feel like it did parts of it did strike a chord with me because I am currently grieving, but like largely, you know, it was, it was fine. I wasn't invested in it. It made me think a lot about back when I was doing the rent thing a lot, which was largely after the period that he talks about in this book. I started going in like 1999 and he left in 1998. Yeah. And by the way, if you're somehow still listening, but you're like, oh, I didn't know you guys were into rent. Um, that's cool for you. Uh, we have talked about our like Kate and I met through Rent the Musical. Like we loved it when we were teens and we met. Well, sort of adjacent, I guess. Like In shorthand, I usually tell people that we met on a rent message board. It was actually more complicated, which we did talk about in our eighth anniversary origin stories episode. So if you're interested in that, that's where that is. But basically fundamentally we met because of rent and through rent and it is a musical that hasn't aged in a totally unproblematic way and there's issues with it and um and that's not we're here to talk about we're here to to talk about anthony rapping messy i guess and And to i guess reminisce about when we used to go to rent like it was our job yeah and look, and if this book had come out in like 2000, I like I would have been there like 
release day to get this book. I in this book, Anthony Rep talks briefly about recording his first, and I believe at this time only solo album, which is called Look Around, which I did own. I think I still own. I went to a I, I have a signed personalized copy of the album because I went to see him perform at a like a pride event in Chicago when I was like 16. It was just thrilling. But it's also- not a good album. It's no. not a good album. It's not a good album. I also have a signed personalized copy of it from when I went to see him, I think, at just playing like a coffee shop at Rutgers University um, when I was around that age. And I have a very awkward picture with him. Same. We should post our I, awkward pictures with him. I got to find it. Uh, I might. I, I probably have a digital copy saved somewhere. I don't know where the physical copy would be to scan. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look to see if I can find it. But like. Yeah. It was it's it is always funny to me to look back at pictures of us or of me when I was around that age, because the way that people know me now versus the way that I dressed and acted in high school is so vastly different that I think you would not recognize the girl wearing the like three sizes too large baggy T-shirt and baggy black pants with like fucking curly untamed hair basically in like a triangle out of her head cut way too short or maybe long at that point i don't know i was just a disaster i wore the same fucking corduroy jacket every day and combat boots and it it was it's very different than i say this like looking over at my closet of like quirky dresses and <laughs> jewelry <laughs> Yeah. In my photo with Andrew, I'm wearing a faux retro Care Bears t-shirt that I would probably still wear today. (laughs) I have not evolved. I am the same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I... So I, I had started – I don't know how much we're going to talk about the actual book versus we're going to talk about just, uh, like, stupid going. Well, you did – we did read it. We did read it. Um, I mean, but I don't, like – I don't know. They're just – There was nothing in it that felt, I guess, interesting to me. I don't know. I'm also tired and in like a weird (laughs) fog. This is such a sick burn. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, there's the part when he talks about going to visit what we know as the angel tour of rent. And then I assume it must be Andy Senor, right? Like he just says he met this Unless he changed his name as well, because we do, we did discover, we did discover that, because I know, I can't remember if Andy Singer started in the Angel tour. I know that he eventually was Angel on Broadway, but I can't remember if he's a tour transplant as well or not. And we do know that he changed the name of, like, the main boyfriend that he talks about for most of the book. That gentleman's name was changed, and we do know what his actual name is. And it is interesting to me that he changed it. But also the guy kind of comes off like a dick. So maybe not. I don't know. Okay. I keep just seeing that Andy Senor made his debut playing Angel and Rent. But I need to know where. Oh, here we go. Broadwayworld.com. You will treat me, right? Mm. You're not going to disrespect me like these other sites will. Um, no, this must. No, that doesn't work out. Timeless. Yeah, so he may have changed this person's name. But then why did he change it to Andy when they're when you read that and you're like Andy Senor? Um, okay, now I gotta look at the original Angel cast. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, he 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 dated somebody who was an original member of the Angel cast of Rent, which was of interest to me. I mean, um, dating is a very okay. fucked around. He with. had he had I mean, not even fucked around with. He had like an online emotional affair and once like once during this time was like oh what if we log off and we both masturbate and then we log back on and we talk about it like yeah but it it, yeah it took up a lot of like real estate for him mentally um because mostly like the main guy who he sees through most of the book is for the sake of the book called todd and he's like kind of a dick and which I mean, like Anthony Rapp also seems like kind of a dick during this time, but also has a lot going on. Um, but the most notable to me, like as a person who just went through like a whole fucking funeral process, is that like when his mother's dying, after his mother dies, he calls him and he says like, hey, 
you know, it happened. Mom's gone. When can you get out here? And he's like, oh, you want me to come out there for the funeral? And he's like, and at this point, they're like living together. They've been together for multiple years. And he's like, yeah. And Todd is like, well, I have a bunch of meetings, so I guess I can come after them. And then, like, the moment he gets there, and again, this is, you know, told from Anthony Rapp's perspective, so who fucking knows? There was no one else there. And yeah, Todd's certainly not speaking about it, but, like, essentially, like, shows up at Anthony's mom's house and is like, I'm, like, I'm bored. I'm not tired. I'm bored. You're not doing enough to, like, entertain me and cater to me. And not even that, like, he's a hurt. He's like, you're not making me feel welcome. Like, I don't feel yeah. welcome here. Yeah. What the fuck, and man? It's just, like, a dick. And then, like, after the funeral, like, he and his siblings, like, have, like, this tradition of, like, playing Scrabble. And, like, they don't – they're not very openly communicative. So this is, like, their bonding time. And, like – And that was relatable to me. I was like, <laughs> yes. This is how – this is how you interact with a family member. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Todd doesn't want to play, but then he, like, sits there and bitches the entire time that, like, he's bored and why can't Anthony just stop playing Scrabble, drive him 20 minutes each way to the house and then come back and keep playing Scrabble so he doesn't have to sit here and read his book while they're playing Scrabble in the other room? Yeah. And then the part that really, like, got me is that – so he starts having this, like, emotional affair with, quote-unquote, Andy from the Angel Tour of Rent, where mostly they just – and this was also relatable to me – mostly they just IM'd a lot on AOL and sent emails back yeah. and forth. <laughs> I was like, yes, that is how many of my relationships went in the late 90s and early 2000s as well. Um, and – Todd like is constantly jealous and constantly even before this thing with quote unquote Andy being like you know I saw you shake that guy's hand at the stage door like are you fucking him like I saw you like you know smile at someone from the stage are you like are you secretly in a relationship with like this whole big thing so finally when he when he does have this emotional affair with Andy he tells him and then later like and he blows up and he's like treating him like shit and freezing him out over it todd this is and then later when they break up todd's like oh by the way all that time when i was like giving you shit and acting super jealous it was because i was having multiple affairs yeah <laughs> and it's like it's very like and he's like oh, i was pissed but whatever <laughs> Um, by the way, I have ended up on a Rentheads FAQ hosted on angelfire.com, yes. which is still up. And one of the FAQs is, who is Josh Shaw? Josh Shaw is Anthony Rapp's former boyfriend. I have no indication as to whether or not they're still together. But he's a very nice person. He is a playwright. You can visit his website at members.tripod.com slash tilde Jude Shaw. <laughs> This is really sending me. I don't think tripod exists anymore, but I'm going to try to go to it. Mm -hmm. This episode is for no one. It is it's literally for no one. It's just for us. Yes. And he, so the other, so the reason that I, that I did the Googling to see if Todd was the same person who I thought it was is because uh, about 23 years ago, um, there was an episode of This American Life talking about a uh, girl with Munchausen's who was a rent head and there was this all of this drama about it. And I vaguely remembered back in like 1999-2000 doing like kind of a, you know, look, poking around on the internet. I was like lurking on most of these message boards and stuff at this point. I was not participating. It wouldn't be like another year or so until I would start posting regularly on what would become compulsive bowlers. Um, but like reading about like this girl who had tricked like multiple cast members and fans into thinking that she had some terrible disease and she was dying and, you know, would do what, what is now in the age of, like, Internet Munchausen's a very familiar song and dance of, like, oh, like, I'm her friend and I am emailing you to tell you that she's in the hospital in a coma. Oh, we'll, we'll come down and visit her. Oh, she just woke up <laughs> and she doesn't. Like, a lot of that kind of song and dance. And one of the, like, she was 
you know, one of the original Renheads and one of the people who kind of sniffed out that this was fake was this guy, Josh, who was dating Anthony Rapp at the time. And so that was why his name was in my head. And he also used to have like this, you know, a website where he did a lot of bragging on that website. Were you able to get to it? Huge news. It still works. Um, it still is up. It There is a tab called Anthony and it is photos of Anthony Rapp. Um, there's a tab called Yo Mama. There is a, uh, not a tab, a, uh, like a link, um, in the sidebar. Yeah. Cause I was uh, going to say like, I remember poking around his website back in the day and I was like, wow, like you, you absolutely have a section of your website where you're just like, yeah, I'm Anthony Rapp's boyfriend. Here's okay. There's a list on his, on his page called top 10 reasons why you should hate Josh number i'm just gonna read this because fuck it we're here number 10 he knows the beauty is in the attempt nine he is too nice to people who never say thank you number eight he actually likes lisa loeb because she actually wrote thought about read over kept sung listened to recorded produced and published the lyric when all the stars were falling i looked up like you said when all the stars were falling one hit me in the head and I fell down. Number seven, the first time he saw Rent, he didn't like it that much. Number six, he believes he has something of value to say. Number five, he has emotions. Number four, he actually wants to see the siege and is just waiting for someone to ruin the ending of Arlington Road 2. Three, he knows all the lyrics to The Girl from Ipanema. Number two, he knows his own limitations. And number one, everyone else does. And that's why you should hate Josh. <laughs> yeah. I can't find any dates on this. It must oh. be pretty fucking old. It has a guest book. It has a web ring. The last time the guest book was signed was April 30th, 1998. <laughs> Oh my god, and it was by a girl who I know from Compulsive Bullers who I still keep in touch with. Wild. Oh man. Yeah, the fact that I can even remember any of this given the state general state of my memory is pretty funny. So important. <sighs> but yeah, we were mostly I don't know, I actually I'm sure we've talked about this, but the state of my memory, as previously said, is not very good. You know, I first got into the show. I mean, I probably started, like, listening to it, like, 97 or so, 98, 97 or 98. I saw it for the first time in 1999. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing it more regularly, starting probably in, like, 2000. Yeah, same. I, I got into it because in eighth grade chorus, we sang Seasons of Love because we had a cool chorus teacher. And then, and then I went to Best Buy and I bought the CD, the double CD. It was expensive. My mom was, was, was actually very into it first and would play the CD all the time. And that's kind of what got me into it. Wow. Yeah. You had a cool mom. I had I had a mom who was actually too cool for musical theater, but you had a different cool mom. <laughs> no, you had a very cool. I would I would argue your mom is cooler than my mom. <laughs> no, she is. Um, and I don't mean that as a diss on your mom. No. I just mean that my mom is like objectively very cool. Yes. Uh, I mean, full agree, she, full agree. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't like musical theater. But she did like Rent. But she didn't get into it first uh happy mother's day to our moms we're recording this yeah. on mother's day but it's not gonna go up for i don't know i sh uh whatever doesn't matter we're recording this a little bit far in advance actually but scheduling for us has just been so you know we already said we we're doing badly just leave us alone Yes. <laughs> and also it's and I, I feel like I feel like another key takeaway from this is that we're recording not late at night because we're old, but usually later I think than we usually we usually try to record episodes first thing in the morning. So you get us at our freshest. And yeah, morning now, like, energy. I I've spent all day being beaten down by my own brain and chores and Renata had a rough day at work and now we're recording and we're we're tired and 
it's the end of the day and this is what you get sorry that's what you get um one thing in this book is that um anthony rapp was friends with andy dick when they were in high school and andy dick sounds like a fucking nightmare (laughs) i mean you're not wrong um maybe i'll do that for my dramatic reading instead actually uh what like yeah he um also anthony rapp in addition to like quoting rat all the time he I don't know. I don't know why this, like, because it is his memoir and he should write about his life, but he just, like, kept mentioning that he was in the movie Adventures and Babysitting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. It's very dusty in here. Um, is it because you're emotionally moved by Anthony Rapp's tale? Yes. It's dusty in here because I'm emotionally moved by Anthony Rapp's tale. Yeah, I thought so. And definitely not because I was sweeping and then closed yeah. the windows to record. Well, I, you know how sometimes when people are crying, they say, oh, it's just dusty in here. That was my joke. Uh, um, not, not that Anthony Rapp caused literal dust in your home. Although maybe. <laughs> although maybe. Who knows? Uh, also, I was offended by the epilogue of the book where he talks about being excited to make the movie and he was like the rent movie is so great you guys are gonna love the rent movie and i was like are we will we spoiler did alert we? we didn't we did spoiler it. alert the rent movie's bad <laughs> also he was excited to reunite with chris columbus with whom he made adventures in babysitting <laughs> Also, he talks about how, like, uh, Chris Columbus was nice enough to offer some of the original cast members back their roles. And it's like, yeah, that was a bad choice, actually. Actually, that was a bad choice. It's so... I feel like we have talked about this in the podcast before, but, like, in the late 90s, everyone was like, oh, are they going to make a rent movie? Well, they have to get the original cast. Like, they have to. And everyone was like, we'll be so mad if they don't. But then by the time they did, they were too old. They're too old. Yes, they were very too old, and it's very obvious throughout. And they didn't have that CGI face youngening situation anymore, so it's just fully, like, 30-somethings who don't have jobs. Yeah. It was... It Which, was by the way, if you're 30-something and you don't have a job, that's that's fine. I'm rooting for you, sweetie. But in the context of the musical, they are young, young people who don't have jobs. Yes. And if you are 30-something, you're not young. I'm sorry. You're our age. And we're clearly old and losing it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Another thing so that Kate and I talked about is that I was offended. And I don't know. I'm having trouble articulating this because I do value a kind of like radical honesty in memoirs when people like are not afraid to like talk about shitty things that they have done or thought or like grown from but something and maybe it's just because like i've been in a bad mood but anthony rep keeps talking about how he's been like a bad son and he's he wasn't a good son to his mom and he talks about how like for years he would like forget mother's day and forget her birthday and just like describes all the ways that he took her for granted and i was like yeah it sounds like you did do that what the fuck um and it's hard like you know and now he's like oh now i have to change that and i should be like yeah good for you for like trying to change that now but i was just like simply couldn't be me (laughs) yeah whereas like i am a person who does like frequently like i try to at least call my mom on her birthday and mother's day i don't always get a card in the mail i don't always get a present out i probably don't call my mom as much as i should like i i felt the way that he was describing himself as a bad way as particularly uh resonant to me and especially thinking back to like the 90s the early 90s when it wasn't like ah, oh, yeah i just gotta like grab my cell phone and call when it was more of a like well i have to pay the long distance or i have to go get a calling card and then call and there were more steps involved like i feel like if it was me in the 90s i also would have probably been very bad at calling my mom um because even now when i have the technology of cell phones and such i i could be better at it i think 
So it was more of a relatable kind of, you know, quote unquote, bad son behavior to me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, You know, and and you, not to bring up the five love languages. <laughs> but I but will. Let's do it. But I will, and like I know that my mom's love language is is gifts, and she loves a little gift, and so it's very easy for me to just like send her a little trinket because she's not like okay, like this year for Mother's Day, what I got my mom was some ink box, long lasting temporary tattoos, and some um they were called roach clips, and as a joke, and they're chip bag clips that look like realistic cockroaches. Uh, to go on like you know your bag of chips but it looks like there's a roach on your chips and um, a little keychain that you can put a flattened penny into and uh, and she loved it and that was great but I know some people's moms are like fussier or like I don't know my mom is kind of fussy but in a way that I perfectly understand yeah I'm just like anything with that many steps now that I live far away from my mom is just getting a thing and getting the post office all of those things I did get my mother a mother's day gift this year and literally I was telling Renata before we started literally the only reason it happened is because um like I said my grandmother recently died and one of my cousins called me up and said hey I was gonna do this thing for my mom for mother's day um since it's the first mother's day without our grandmother but then I thought maybe I should do it for all the aunts but it would be expensive so will you send me money and I'll do one for your mom? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, to fit, like, I know not all moms have the same love language and not all moms like want a gift or like whatever, or they want you to come visit or like whatever, or, you know, maybe some moms are shitty and don't deserve a mother's day gift. Like whatever the case may be. I, this is me admitting that I'm being judgmental <laughs> and it's, and it's Anthony Rapp revealing that he has been a bad son. <laughs> oh um well i mean like honestly and again i don't know if it's because i'm in a bad place if it's because i'm tired if it's because or if generally this book just was not interesting but like literally it's not. it wasn't it there's wasn't. nothing that i want to talk about from this book <laughs> i'll summarize it for you anthony rap gets a role in rent um it's this new workshop and he hasn't had an acting role in a little while, and he moved to New York to be an actor. And also, he has to sing in it. And although he loves musical theater, he hasn't acted in a musical theater show in almost eight years. So he's like, oh boy. Um, and but he gets the audition, and he meets the playwright, and it's this guy named Jonathan Larson. And he thinks some of the music is incredible, and some of the music needs a little bit of work. And he does it, and it's great. And meanwhile, he has this distant relationship with his mother, and then he gets rent again, and it's you know off broadway and it's a full show and it might move to broadway if they do good enough and a new cast is brought in except for him and daphne rubin vega and uh jill chason from the original mytw version and yes. they made a lot of changes and it's better now but also his mother had a tumor several years ago and it's turned out that it's coming back so while she is able to come out to see the premiere of rent on broadway after the tragic death of jonathan larson when they're off broadway uh after that she's basically confined to her house or the hospital and he makes a lot of trips while working on rent back and forth to go see his mother as she's dying and air all of their final issues because they're a very uncommunicative family who don't really talk about their feelings and he wants to make sure that the air is clear between them before she dies so he they talk about his sexuality and they talk about some other stuff that has been kind of there between them and by the way his sexuality i mean if it's not well he comes out as bi i think now he does identify as gay but he at the time there weren't even on Broadway, there weren't very many like openly gay actors, and it was like a pretty big deal. Um, and she she was not as accepting of it as as would be ideal. Yes, at first, and then she yeah. came over time. And she was also it seemed like reading between the lines, it did seem like her major concern was that he was going to get AIDS. 
I mean, she does explicitly say don't get AIDS. Yes. Like it is. It, it But yeah, like I, I, it seems like it's not so much that she cares that he's queer as much as she cares that she's terrified that he's going to get AIDS. So that like, and this puts him at a bigger risk for it. Um, because at one point, like he's long term dating this guy and she's like really happy and considers him part of the family. But then they break up and he starts dating someone new and she goes back to being like cagey about it. Yeah. But she she dies and he's very sad and he has a very hard time dealing with his grief around that. And then he starts going to a support group and gets in therapy and deals with his grief better. And the end. And then there's an epilogue and, where he's making the and right records movie. A, sh- a shitty solo album called Look Around that he sold to teenage girls who liked Rent. Yes. <laughs> and, uh also, uh, Jonathan Larson died famously. Like, if you're, it's so hard for me to be like, what? Like, I'm like, everyone obviously knows that Jonathan Larson died, but like, I don't know, maybe somehow you're still listening. You didn't know that he did. He died before it opened off Broadway. Um, suddenly, sadly, of an aortic aneurysm, and uh, and it and it fucked everybody up, uh, including Anthony Rapp, yeah. and. One one anecdote that I liked a lot is that Anthony invited Jonathan to his, I think, his birthday party. And then one of Anthony's other friends was like, what's the deal with that guy, Jonathan? And Anthony was like, oh, he's like writing the show I'm on. And he's like, uh, he introduced himself to me and he said, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm the future of American musical theater with a straight face. Like, who fucking says that? And I was like, lol. <laughs> like, I'm, I... Look, it's very sad for a lot of reasons that Jonathan Larson died, but, like, can you imagine what he would be like on internet if he were alive? Like, I feel like he might be insufferable, and maybe it's the best for his legacy that he didn't have internet. Um, I guess he had a little bit of internet before the end there, but he, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, if he's going around telling people, like, I'm the future of American musical theater, like, I don't know, man. But also, he was... Yeah, I mean, he he was, though. (laughs) But also, he was, though. (laughs) But you can't just say it. (laughs) I mean, you can, I guess. I guess he can and you did, but also you can't. (laughs) Guys, we're we're not well. No. No, we're we're not. not We're not well, and we are not the future of American podcasting. No, we're not even honestly the present of podcasting. We're not the present. No. <laughs> uh, you know what? Though I think Dory Day might be. It's possible he might be the breakout star of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because he's just such a little guy, and I he think the I think guy. the American the American public right now is really hungry for little guys. So I don't heard. know why I said that like that. <laughs> and I <laughs> I just want to be so clear that what I mean is that he's uh, he's very cute and people like that. Did <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, I'm I by the way, I have the ebook and the physical copy of the book and the physical copy of the book is like lightly moldy from the library. <sighs> um let's see what else still funny to me that he's like the rent movie is gonna be great it was so bad uh, i remember i saw the rent movie it, it was like at this weird time because as i had said earlier like because it came out not long after this book came out and i as i said like i had been like kind of on a break from rent because you know the guy i knew who was in it who kept me going to it had left and I had sort of lightly friends broke up with the people who I was closest to going to see it. And the movie came out and I remember thinking like, wow, it's wild. This movie's been out for like a couple weeks and I haven't had any reach to see it. Also, it looked terrible. Um, and my college, one of my college BFFs and another friend of ours were like, well, let's go see it. And so we, we drove over to go see it. And we were literally the only people in the theater. And me and my, my college BFF had already had both seen the show on Broadway several times and our friend had not ever seen it before and he loved the movie and then me and my college BFF could not stop laughing like we we were in an empty theater it was just the three of us and I do believe that Mark at one point got up to move to sit further away from us because (laughs) we were just cackling at how bad it was 
uh just like full on like when it gets to what you own there's this part where like fucking roger adam pascal in his fucking late 30s as roger with his fucking john bon jovi mullet is standing in the grand canyon with like the wind blowing through his hair as he sings what you own and i think i was laughing so hard i was afraid i was gonna black out yeah Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned, though, that your friend liked it because I have noticed, like, people who didn't get a chance to see the show live tend to often like the movie, and then I feel shitty for making fun of it because, as we all know, exposure to live theater is hard, and um, especially if you're younger, like, maybe it wasn't being produced around you, and, and I... Um, what am I trying to say? I don't want to like know. shit on it. If you like the rent movie, like, okay. Um, <laughs> but did you know that there is actually a professionally DVD filmed live on Broadway of rent that is better and you should perhaps look into that instead. Um, I, I'm just thinking of other stuff. Like I definitely have been on the other end of people being like snobby theater at me. Like, Oh, you like the Evita movie? Like, yeah, actually, I do like the Evita movie, and I think it slaps. Like, also, it's bad, but also it slaps. Um, is how I feel about the Evita movie. Uh, in conclusion, you should like what you like, but the Rent movie is not as good as Anthony Rapp says it is in this book. It's true. Yeah, I try. <laughs> I try to. I try to be aware of that. I am like I have what I call like my one most snobby theater opinion. And then generally after that, I'm just kind of live and let live. And I try, I try not to bring up my like most snobby theater opinion uh, unprompted because I don't want to be that, that person. But I feel like you always say this and then, and there's like, well, what is your snobby theater opinion, Kate? And I've, I've, you've got to say it. Oh well, it's not rent related. It's yeah, my you, snobby. You, yeah, my my one snobby. Look, theater. I know what it is, but if I'm at home listening to this podcast, I'm like, ooh, Kate, what is your snobby opinion? I guess that's um, true. I guess I have said it on the Discord, but I guess not everyone's on the Discord. My one snobby no. theater opinion is just that, and I feel like maybe I've said it on the show before too. Is just that I saw Hades Town at the MYTW off Broadway, and I think that that is the platonic ideal of how Hades Town should be done. And I don't like the changes they made when they moved it to Broadway, and I don't think it's suited to a Broadway or touring theater. And that's, that's that's fine, it. yeah. Um, and I didn't see that production, and I disagree, and that's fine. We're yes. still friends. We are handshake emoji. <laughs> um, and and what we can agree on is that this book is uh, uh not good. No, <laughs> don't bother. Even if you're like, oh, I love Rent, though, don't bother. If you haven't already read it. A, if you love Rent That Much, why have you not already read it? And B, don't bother. Yeah, and if you love Rent That Much and you haven't read what we always used to call the the Rent Bible, like that big black rent book that looks like it has fake duct tape on the edges. I mean, anything anything related to the show that is of interest that Anthony Rapp does mention in this book, it's in that book. Yes. Or it's or it's on an old tripod.com website that you can find. Yes. Yeah, there simply isn't anything like new for rent fans here. And the way that he talks about his grief journey to me isn't remarkable in terms of which which feels like a again, I know that I sound like an asshole. And like when you're going through grief, like you feel it and you feel it and like grief is like every cliche about grief is true. And like when you're grieving, like you're like, Oh fuck, like this cliche is so true. Um, and that doesn't, I don't, I'm not trying to like shit on the concept of grief or say that like, if you are having like cliched responses to like, that's why they're cliches. But however, if you're putting a memoir out for a general audience, it's preferable if you have something fresher than this to say yeah (laughs) um and again also i think even in 2006 the stuff he says about his sexuality probably was to be fair like a little bit fresher than um even though it's when you read it now you're like okay this is like very mild but again even in 2006 it was a pretty big deal that he was openly gay and to talk about that i i guess 
would be something that this book had going for it. But if you've made it to 2023 without reading it, you're fine. You're fine. Well, this this um that's where we are. That's where we are. Let's move on to dramatic readings and give you some of this book to have Hooray. to listen to. <laughs> All right. Um okay. I'm going to start off by reading a little bit about Brent including I've him heard of it. Just putting lyrics from the show into the book as if anyone reading this book is unfamiliar with Rent. In the next song, Mark and Roger's friend Collins shows up at their apartment with his new boyfriend, a drag queen named Angel, and they also invite Roger out to the support group. He declines, and an argument between Roger and Mark follows, which gets particularly heated, with Mark pushing and pushing and Roger resisting and resisting until, at last, Roger hauls off and punches Mark in the stomach. I wondered if that punch would work on stage. Mark then sings a plaintive, elegantly melodic song, He Says, which features this exchange. He says he doesn't need support groups. I say he'll bring his camera. He doesn't know why I go when I'm not sick or queer. Footage to make a career. I love the economy of the music and the fullness of the moment. It revealed so much about the mutual resentments that had been building up between two good friends and gave valid voice to both at once. Happy to have such a rich moment to play, encouraged by it, I plowed on through the score, listening to chunks of everyone else's songs, but mostly concentrating on my stuff. Nothing else jumped out at me until the end of the first act when I discovered that I got to lead the way in a rousing number called Lovey Bohem. Mark starts it off by toasting, to days of inspiration, playing hooky, making something out of nothing. It was my kind of song, fast and fun and exuberant, the lyrics tumbling out almost faster than my ears could follow them, sometimes rhyming, sometimes not, all percolating above a funky bass line reminiscent of Vince Guaraldi's famous theme for the Peanuts cartoons. I leaned forward to the speakers, into the speakers to keep up. After Mark's opening verse, a whole verse to myself, the rest of the company joins in, escalating in intensity and harmony, throwing out lists of famous bohemians and cleverly rhymed couplets and triplets. To Uda, to Buddha, Pablo Neruda too. A true party atmosphere erupted out of my tiny boombox speakers, and I found myself bobbing my head in time to the music. I loved this line. To faggots, lezzies, dykes, crossdressers too. This was a musical? You wouldn't hear that sentiment in Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows or Sondheim's for that matter, nor this, to people living with, living with, living with, not dying from disease. I had to shake my head a little to diffuse the jolt that hit me with that line. It was so joyful, so true, and it expressed exactly how I felt. In 1994, this was still a revolutionary idea, that it was possible to live a full life in the face of AIDS or cancer, that being ill didn't mean being dead. Jonathan proclaiming that in a musical, in a song that was all about celebrating life on the fringes, was unprecedented in my experience. I was thrilled to have the opportunity to express all of this myself. I couldn't wait to be in the rehearsal room with the rest of the cast and revel in the shouting out of those words. Yep, those sure are lyrics. Yep. Um, I'm going to read a, one of the high school flashbacks. Um. And here it is. Let's play spin the bottle, Ricky said. Ricky was the ringleader of our group's little gatherings. He was dark-haired and olive-skinned, Italian, judging by his last name, D'Angelo, and older-looking than his 18 years. Maybe it was his eyes. They were dark brown, and they seemed to hold some kind of secret. Whatever secret it was lit them up, giving him an illicit authority when he talked, making me think of conspiracies or backrooms or money laundering schemes, stuff that people got involved in when they were well out of high school. Um, I'm skipping around a little bit, and who cares? I hadn't really known him for long, but he was the ringleader. And that night, as usual, we were at his house in Shorewood, a slightly more upscale community adjacent to Juliet. His loud, obese mother was also home. By the way, there is a fair amount of casual fat phobia in this book. That was fun. His loud, obese mother was also home in the living room watching TV. She loved when Ricky brought his friends over. Oh, hi. How are you? She boomed in her nasal voice from her easy chair when I dropped in. Nice to see you again. Mom, we're going to be in my room, Ricky said. Okay, Ricky. See you all later. There wasn't any asking for permission in Ricky's house. He expected to get... 
and got what he wanted. And what he wanted that night was all of us in his room drinking and playing spin the bottle. And that's what we did. The players that night were Ricky, Brian, an officer in Juliet West's ROTC who was Ricky's age with that similar older than he was quality. His New England accent and anomaly in our town. Doreen, whose dyed red hair was spectacularly sprayed and sculpted to swoop over her forehead, almost covering one eye, its side part extremely low, near her ear, like a balding man's comb-over. Laura, compact and tough, sporting a new wave pompadour, her hair poofed up on top and buzzed on the sides and on the back, but with a bonus tail stemming from the base of her skull. Francis, slim and pretty, with freckles, big blue eyes, and dark, dark, dark black hair, which fell around her face without quite as many products sprayed or gelled or moosed into it. Me, at 14, by far the youngest participant. And Andy Dick. Yes, that Andy Dick. Years before he was famous. Also 18, my closest friend in the group and the real reason I was there. I had met Andy two and a half years prior when I played the title role in Oliver at Juliet West. He played Dr. Grimwig, a tiny role in Act 2, and in any other production undoubtedly completely forgettable, but not so in our production. Andy, gawky and skinny and unafraid to do anything for a laugh, sprayed his blonde afro. He looked like a tree with his lanky frame and huge hair, completely gray, the shiny silvery gray you only get out of those streaks and tips cans used for makeup effects in amateur theater productions, and decided that his Dr. Grimwig was 90 years old and dying of emphysema. So his two-minute scene with me wherein he asked me how I was feeling and then pronounced me well stretched into four or five minutes as he coughed and wheezed and sputtered and hacked up phlegm and ad-limbed crazy exclamations. The audience loved it, laughing uproariously, and it took all my concentration to keep from laughing. We became instant friends, and from that moment on, Andy constantly made me laugh. Okay, and they play Spin the Bottle, and also he, Andy Rub is constantly... It's not only rat, like they're listening to music and then he'll put in like full paragraphs of like violent femmes lyrics in here. Like, and that's the song we were listening to, which I mean, I guess, I guess that was 2006. It gives it, it does give it kind of like a live journal feel, but it's a lot of quoted song lyrics. It's true. Oh God. Um, and the spin the bottle game does seem rough like definitely as a 14 year old i feel like they were taking advantage of this kid and it seemed not cool but here we are let's move on to reader's advisory where we suggest some stuff to read instead of this book uh again rent the musical if you want to watch it please try to find the filmed live on broadway dvd instead of the movie but if you love the movie, that's okay. It just it could be better. Or find the Fox Live version, which wasn't live, and maybe you'll see me and Renata in the audience. Oh, that yep. Yep. If nothing else, you'll feel our auras in it, surely. Yes. Um people also a lot of like redheads didn't like that version either, but Kate and I liked it, I think partly just because we were there for it. But also it is better than the movie. It's true. In my opinion. They did make several lyrical changes that we were all in favor of that people on the internet lost their minds over. Yeah, like, who's crying because they cut thing twice before you'll poo-poo it? That's a bad line. It's good that it's gone. Yeah. Um. Again, I mentioned this before, the, the Black Rent book that I think is just technically called Rent, but that book is interesting if you want to learn more about rent and yeah. how this made uh, we'll put a link to the um, yeah we'll come up some other ones i will say i mean kate would you rather read this book or read andrew Lloyd weber's memoir i would read this again it was shorter and there was a lot less about taxes in it yeah exactly um so it's got that going for it however and to be fair, much less transphobia than Ani DeFranco's memoir. Very there true. Was, I would say none transphobia in that. So, and he didn't try to write any of his own poetry. Yes, although he sort of he did write those terrible songs on his album. So it's he didn't true. put them in the book, but 
he's he's not innocent <laughs> no no absolutely not but it could have been worse he could have he could have put those terrible lyrics into the book and he didn't so he That's saved true. us all unlike you know um, unlike pamela anderson and um, fucking uh matthew mcconaughey oh, true he didn't talk about his todger directly well he did talk about masturbating but he didn't use the word todger nope could be worse. So, could be worse for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, we don't have a guest to play rock paper snicked. No, just the rock. And here's what it is: is the rock and Wolverine are on a date, and they are going to see the the upcoming that I am putting on my vision board revival of Rent, and they're they're gonna really enjoy it. Well. The rock will enjoy it, and we'll, the rock will enjoy it, and Wolverine will not enjoy it. But he will sit Correct. through it. Yeah, he will sit through it. Um, and and we all win. We do. Okay, we're doing so bad. We're, yeah, we're not doing great. Oh, here's here's a here here's something vaguely related that when I saw it this morning, I was like, I should mention this when we're recording, and it's pointless, and I shouldn't, and you should edit it out, but I'm saying it anyway, is that today's Wordle, wait, have you done today's Wordle yet? Uh, yes. Today's Wordle was Scarf, and when I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, we're recording about Rent today, so that's a weird coincidence, and now I've said it. Yeah, because yeah, Mark wears a scarf. Correct. <laughs> um that's true that that is true (laughs) uh uh maybe we should have just taken an episode off (laughs) yeah i think maybe yeah that probably would have been the correct choice (laughs) sorry everyone uh that's my closing thought is we should not have done that (laughs) uh you skipped duarte Oh, fuck. That's how... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Duarte likes the Rent movie because he's not allowed to go to theaters. So he has to watch at home. Yeah. Um, But hey, Duarte, there's a recorded version. That's true. I'll make make sure to expose him to better... um, quality productions and that's my closing thought is that better quality live film productions of major theatrical performances should be more readily available to everyone and bootlegs are not at all causing people to not go to theater it's just that theater has over the years turned more and more into something that only the elite can afford and uh travel to get to and gay by not wanting to have filmed versions while I do understand there is a certain magic in being in the room uh, it is gatekeeping theater to only people who can afford to travel and can afford to get tickets and have the you know physical ability and mental ability to sit in theater and watch the show straight through uh, in a socially acceptable way so that's my closing thought yeah um, also, if you go to YouTube and search for Rent Slime Tutorial, probably something will co- happen. Probably. Uh, we'll be back. Well, we're on we're on the internet. We have social media. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Worst Bestseller Spelled Normally. You know this. You know that we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because... The S was actually only in the 1994 version of the podcast, and it was lost uh, when the podcast transferred to Broadway. But I think we can all agree it was stronger for the change. Yes. Uh, You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all the podcast places. And you know by now that if you do find us there, take a moment to rate and review us when you rate and review us. Well, maybe don't rate and review this episode because it does move us up on the charts. It makes it easier for new people to find us. If you listen to this episode, tell no one. (laughs) (laughs) That's your little secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
we're gonna be back in two weeks and we're gonna start flashback summer and we're gonna talk about are you there god it's me margaret by judy bloom and it's gonna be a much better episode yeah i promise it's I a better promise. book too. it's a better <laughs> book it's gonna be a better episode we're gonna have a better guest first of all because it's gonna be a real guest and not a, a ghost who has been silent but also genuinely as a guest i'm very excited to have so thank you if you listen thank you thank you but don't tell anyone but thank you and if you're not listening that was smart great job we'll be back in two weeks with something better yeah okay bye bye